Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property and Lending uh, Podcast. This is episode eight. As always, we have Ferdy and Mark with us. How are you, boys? How are you, men? How are you? Very good. How are you? Good, good. Um, we just had a quick discussion about keeping ourselves on a bit of a time limit, so we won't talk too much uh, too much about random stuff. Uh, we'll just get straight <laughs> into it. Um, so before we discuss apartments versus housing uh, versus houses um, in terms of the difference in lending, if, if there is a difference, and then as well if, if there's a difference when it comes to investment and what usually provides to be better investments. Uh, I guess we'll start with the lending. Um, Mark or Fetty, whoever wants to answer, is there, uh, is there a difference when it comes to lending between houses and apartments? Mark, you want to go? Um, yeah, funny. It's funny that we're talking about this. I just had a, um, a customer end of last week inquire to purchase in the heart of Melbourne. Um, and because it is an area, because it was 29 floors up, um, full of apartments, hundreds of apartments there, um, there's an LVR restriction from the banks. So even though that they could, even though they can um, service the loan that they need and they can get a lot more than they need, um, the bank isn't comfortable lending more than um, for that particular apartment. It was 80%. Um, so for them, they pulled out. But sometimes that happens. So if it is high density, there is a difference in lending because sometimes there's a cap on the LVR. Um, if it's like a small, if it's like, 10 um, apartments in a block or just like three, four floors, whatever, something small, um, and it's in an area that doesn't isn't filled with a lot of apartments, then there's no difference in lending. Um, from, my, from my perspective, everything's the same. Um, you might just need to add, like the only thing that I'm thinking, Fads, is we might need to add like the strata as an expense, as opposed to if it's a house with no strata, you wouldn't need to put that expense. So that's one small thing, but um, besides that, you're still going to be receiving your rent, uh, which goes on the calculator, and um, everything's pretty much the same. Yeah, so yeah, like what Mark said, um, in regards to high-density properties as well, so you'll find where in those tall buildings, the way the banks look at it basically is that the resale option is not really there with that amount of apartments inside the same block. It's usually just rented out to invest, uh, to you know, people that are looking to rent within the city. Um, you'll find that, I think, I think Pepper, Mark, from memory, goes up to 40 apartments in each block. So anything over 40 apartments, they won't lend to, unless it's at like a 70 or 60% OVR. Um, you'll find in a lot of apartments in the high, high-rise buildings, 80% is the maximum most lenders will go with as well because of the risk factor. Um, and like Mark mentioned, one thing that we'd be adding on there is like the um, strata, strata charge. Um, and also the, the size of the apartment. So anything under 50 square meter, you're restricting a number of lenders they can go through as well. Um, there are some now that, that one of the big four dropped their, um, their, their minimum size of an apartment to 40 square meters now, but that has to be internal yeah. space, not including the balcony. Yeah. 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 It has to be the, in- so no, they don't include the balconies, the lenders in regards to apartments. It needs to be like Mark just said, 40, 40 square meter minimum. And you'll find a lot of them are looking at a minimum 50 square meter, but this is, this is another annoying thing as well in regards to lending. It's just that rule, like, is which is one of many, you, you see changing over time. Like one season, they're okay with 40 square meter um, apartments. The next season, they're not okay with it. So it's one of those things like policy changes that also occurs. 
Um, but I think that would be one of the major ones if you are looking at a apartment that to double check that lend that you're going through. If that security, that property you're looking for, whether it's under 50 or 40 square meter, is going to be suitable to that lender. And of course, there's going to be a lot more LVR restrictions in regards to apartments. It just depends, like Mark said previously, into the location. What yeah, I found interesting okay. was with that with that example with the apartment block in the heart of Melbourne, when I was talking to one of the big four um, BDMs, he was telling me, um, he sent me an Excel spreadsheet and he's like, find the address on the spreadsheet. And I'm like, all right, I found it. And then he's like, this spreadsheet essentially tells brokers how many apartments in that apartment block has that particular lender on title. Yeah. Um, so if it's above a certain number, they have a much less, they, uh, they have a much lower appetite to take on another loan in that same building because again of the resale, um, if they have so many in the same building. Um, so that was another thing that came up that, um, that was the first time I heard of that. So interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that is interesting. I've never heard that one. Um, definitely heard about the size limits and, and you know, the postcodes and how many in a building and whatnot, but I've never heard about, um, a lender having a certain percentage of a building and that becoming a risk factor or or a reason for them not to lend. It's very interesting uh, because yeah. essentially two banks, one bank might not lend and another bank might lend on the exact same product simply because they've already got too much. Um, so that's very different. Very interesting. I think, uh, I mean, I know why. Um, and a lot of people might know why, but I think a lot of people won't know why. We, we discussed, obviously, um, you know, there's a size limit, 50 square meters or sometimes 40. Um, and if there's too many uh, units in a building, there might be an LVR restriction. Why, why is that the reason? Why do the banks have these restrictions on apartments? Risk. It's all about the risk about if, you know, if the customer were to default on those apartments and they would have to resell it, who's buying that apartment? Like, for example, I think, you know, I think KM, you would be going into this as well in regards to investing in apartments. Would you be looking at an apartment block that is a high rise apartment block? For a customer that's coming through to look for a stable investment opportunity like it's just like that's how the banks are looking at it as well the same way that you're looking at it as well um and also you'll find um restrictions like my best example is roads here in sydney um homebush that was growing like i think it started in 0405 and people were buying their apartments and you know you're able to buy apartments but if you guys have gone there now that's actually one of those postcodes that you type into the site and you'll find most lenders don't want to touch it unless it's like a 60% or 70% of year where you're finding yourself putting down 30, 40% deposit to purchase that one because it's just been, it's the word I'm looking for. It's just flooded now with apartment blocks and they're all pretty much high rise, medium to high rise buildings. And the banks are saying, well, yeah. And then there's a lot of the apartments. I'm not like, you can probably speak more to this. A lot of the apartments are actually vacant. They're not always rented out all year round as well. So, that also comes down to servicing as well. So the banks will be like, oh, well, we can only use 50% of the rental instead of the usual 80% of the rental. So the yeah. way that banks see it, like Mark was just saying now in Melbourne, if they already own most of that block, or not most, like, like what are they saying, Mark? Like a few apartments in there. They don't want to take any more risk on having that many customers on their books in that same apartment block. And you know whether they all the customers go default or not, if they had to resell, is the bank protected? At the end of the day, the bank's always going to think of themselves first. Are they going to be protected? to be able to make their money back from those apartments. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? It's from an investment perspective, <clears throat> if the bank themselves are seeing this product as a higher risk, 
Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to give you the, you know, a higher loan or, or bigger bigger loan, then they, that should be a red flag to you as a, as a potential investor um, yeah. to not touch these assets at all. Um, we get asked all the time. We get asked a lot of people, I, I guess, to transition into the next part of what's the difference in a, buying an apartment or a house as, a, as an investment or what's better. Um, and we get asked all the time, you know, should, should I invest in an apartment? Uh, and or uh, unit and really anything in a medium to high density building it's just a straight no we don't even consider it um, unless there is some huge source of scarcity factor um, you're in front of the harbour and for whatever there's a council rule that says you can never build in front of this building that you're in and you're going to have unobstructed views of the harbour bridge forever and ever um, unless it's something ridiculous like that where no one else is going to be able to have what you have, we don't touch it. And everything you guys have already said in terms of why the banks won't give you the money is the same reason why we don't want to invest in it. It's yeah. oversaturated, oversupply, you know, vacancies are through the roof. And who wants to buy it, right? If, if yeah. they default, the, the pool of potential buyers is a lot smaller um, for an apartment, especially in a medium high density to as opposed to a house, a standalone house, and and that's the biggest thing. I mean, everything from our end, whenever we discuss property investment, is supply and demand. And yeah. if you have too much supply and not enough demand, property prices are going to go down. And if yeah. you have a, if you have no supply and a lot of demand, property prices are going to go up. It's a very simple kind of, you know, it's a simple game. Real estate is not complicated. That it's fairly yeah. simple. Figure out a place where there's nothing for sale and a lot of people want to buy it, and you're going to make money. And yeah. where people want to buy are places that people want to live. People don't want to live in 40 square meter apartment blocks. Yeah. Um, so long-term capital growth, not even non-existent. It goes backwards a lot of the time. We, we had a customer that we, we did a, like a feasibility report for them to work out what they should be doing with their current portfolio. And one of their assets was an apartment um, in Southwest Sydney. And I think they had bought it in 2012 or something like that, or 10 years ago, give or take. And um, it's worth less today than it was when they bought it. And we just went through the biggest property spike in, in the shortest period of time, 25% across Australia. But this, this asset went backwards, right? It went down. And the reason is in Southwest Sydney is all these new apartments have gone up and yeah. the supply is is increasing and there's an abundance of supply and not enough to cope with, or there's not enough demand to cope with the supply. Um, so you've got vacant apartment box, vacant buildings, vacant units, and that brings the prices down because people get desperate. They need to sell it. So, and if that's the new one, why would I buy an old one for the same price? So the old ones go down as well. So really simply from an investment perspective, I mean, there's not really too much to talk about it. Talk about from, from mine, it's a supply and demand thing. Yeah. But if the, if the banks don't want to touch it from a lending perspective, that's a big red flag. And from our perspective, there's no there's no demand for it. So you would really never touch it if you want any sort of capital growth yeah. from your investment. I think the main thing here is, you know, I, I face this as well when, um, and you probably face this all the time, KM, like helping our customers, is that when I was looking to purchase my first property, I remember finding a property in the southwest region, in the Kasula region. And a property I liked, but it was close to the murder way. Um, it was close to uh, power lines, within 25 metres of power lines. I know you've gone through that as well. 
a few customers yeah. and it pretty much came down. Like I was speaking to one of the lenders at the banks. He goes, listen, man, like think about it. Do you really want to be buying this house right now? Because if you do, you're going to go through the same problem these tenants are going through at the moment of selling their property later on. So these guys have had their property on, on the market for about a year and two months and explains why. So that, that wouldn't be a good investment. What, like worst case scenario, let's say there's no, first of all, I don't see any capital growth. That's first. And second of all, it's going to be hard to resell that property to, you know, even if you can yeah. afford the loan, the banks don't want to give it to you. That's yeah. the main thing. It's, it's always, you know, you, the capital growth comes from emotional purchases, emotional buyers. It comes from people who are buying in an area to live in, coming yeah. from owner occupiers. Investors don't drive the market no. uh, at all. Uh, investors are price takers. You know, owner-occupiers, yeah. they're the people that drive the price. They make the price. They decide what price things are going to be. And then investors, just they just take what's available. And you're 100% right. A property um, like one that you've, dis- that you've just... Um, and don't get me wrong, with a nice property, I'd like to live in that property. You know, that's a property like I, I actually wanted to purchase. I was looking to purchase, but then you've when I was... You've got a small pool of buyers. Exactly. Smaller pools yeah, of buyers not in their control. It's just that the banks are not going to lend them that money. Correct. For that and, and the other thing, so with the, with the apartments is you don't own anything. You yeah. own airspace. You own That's... 40 square meters of of nothing. You don't even own 40 square meters of land because it's it's a shared piece of land. So what we know that what we know about property as well, fundamental is the land value goes up and the building depreciates. And that's why we get depreciation reports. So I don't even own any land. Property yeah. price can only go one way. I don't own anything. I've just bought yeah. airspace. So supply and demand, and um, you not you don't own any land, and the bank doesn't want to give you the money. Just don't buy apartments. It's pretty simple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, here's, here's my next question for you is we're finding a lot of student accommodation apartments. So I think um, – you know, I had a few customers a while back that were looking to buy um, apartments in Brisbane right next to the university, I think it was. I'm not too sure which one it was. Um, and it was always rented out. It was rented out at a high price to students. Is that an investment opportunity that you'd be going for for customers or is that also not guaranteed on a yearly basis? How does that work? Yeah, look. Uh, uh, and those are apartment blocks. Say, yeah, as I always say, it depends on the strategy and your personal circumstances. Apartments do typically come with a better yield than than a than a regular house, um, but that's a very specific strategy. What these people were looking at um, yeah. in terms of student housing, they're looking at very high yields, um, and with that high yield, you get a higher risk in terms of tenancy turnover rates. Um, you know, if if there's no, you know, we just had it with COVID, students are not coming from overseas. You have higher vacancy rates because there's less students. It's a very specific strategy, and it does work, but there's also risks with it. And I would call this more of an active investment as opposed to a more passive investment where you kind of just buy something, let it do its thing, think about it, 25 years later, you, you made a lot of money. Whereas the student housing, whatnot, or student apartments is more, it's a bit different. Uh, it's more active. You're actively trying to, gain a certain result by chasing higher yields. Um, so I think it's that's different. I, yeah, it's that's very cash flow specific. Yeah. We, we typically wouldn't recommend that for a client unless they really, really wanted that. But some 
yields are achievable from a from a regular house as well, which will come with a capital growth. So the question really becomes, well, if I can get six or seven percent somewhere else from a house in terms of yield and get capital growth, why wouldn't I? Um, so we'd really have to weigh up what we're really getting out of that student unit um, over, a, over a regular house. The only caveat I have with buying units besides the scarcity is if you buy the entire block. Yeah. Uh, if you're like, and I'm not talking about a 100-unit building, like block of four, block of six, if you're buying the entire block, that's a different story because, again, yeah. you're getting the land. But I guess yeah. that moves into the commercial kind of, kind of store yeah. and we don't have time for that. So yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that for That's another. actually another restriction is that you find lenders as well, you can't buy more than a certain number of apartments in the same building as an investment. The lenders just won't allow it. So again, they'll look at it a perspective where if you were happen to you know defraud your loan and you own eight of these apartments in the same block, they're not going to be comfortable with that, knowing that you know it's going to be hard to resell those apartments. So that's why it goes into that commercial space where you're purchasing a number of you know in the same you know, basically building. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I don't really have anything else to add to that. Don't buy apartments, buy houses. Um, and from the lending lending perspective, it's clearly the same. It's just easier. Yeah. Apartments. Well, uh, if you, I guess, if I'm going to be, you know, straight shooter like you are right now, um, I'm going to be basically saying if the bank's going to give you a hard time and be in regards to purchasing that security, not just an apartment, just the security in general, like the house I mentioned, um, don't buy it because the resale, unless you're looking to just, you're attached to that home and you want to hold on to it forever and ever and ever, and know the fact that it's going to be really hard to resell. But my last yeah. question for you is: Are you investing still in Sydney? That's my biggest question. Like, where are you investing right now? If customers are coming and asking you, listen, we're looking to grow our portfolio. Um, we're all about cash flow. Let's say the strategy is all about cash flow. Where Are we able to invest in Sydney? Because that's always one of the first questions that, you know, customers ask Mark and I. Like, we'd love to invest in Sydney, but if we can't, we'll invest interstate. But yeah. we're looking, we're seeing a shift in that. And I think you can see that the most, to be honest. So what do you reckon? Yeah. Um, just on the apartment... Uh, yeah, if it's an emotional purchase, like you're buying to live in, that's again a different story. I think everything I was talking about from an investment, investment. perspective, yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to buying to live in, it's a completely different throw it out the window kind of conversation. Um, in terms of are we investing in Sydney, um, I thought we're trying to keep this to 20 minutes, but uh, <laughs> well, that was a bit. <laughs> been 18. Now, um, look, are we, two minutes. <laughs> we, we are and we aren't. If it's a cash flow strategy, we're definitely not. We, we haven't yeah. purchased in Sydney for a very long time for, for a cash flow strategy. The typical yield in Sydney is 3%, if not less. Um, we're getting we're getting yields of 4% plus interstate very easily without really working hard for to find that. Um, so, so that's that. Uh, but Sydney is a big area, is a big place, and there are markets within markets. And... I mean, I get asked all the time, is Sydney going to crash? Is Sydney going up? Is Sydney doing this? What's the market doing? Uh, what market are you talking about is the answer, really. Yeah. Because within Sydney, you'll have areas that do well and you'll have areas that perform poorly. Um, but at the end of the year, you're going to get a one number. Sydney has performed minus 3% or whatever, plus 5%. But within that number, you have your areas, your really high net worth areas, your Vaucluse, you know, Watson Bay, all that stuff. They might drop 10% or 5%. Uh, 
And then you have some areas in your southwest and inner west or whatnot that go up 7%. So it's, it's, it's always supply and demand. There's always people looking to buy and there's always people selling. We're, which areas can we find in Sydney that are performing well um, and are going to perform well? And then there are going to be areas that drop. So Sydney as a whole, as, an, as a city, might not perform and might go down. And, and it's hard to answer that question because Sydney is just too big of a place. But there's some hot but spots. There are there hot spots are, that you guys... Look, there yeah. are areas that we would buy if someone wanted to buy in Sydney. Yeah. I think there are better opportunities at the moment outside of Sydney, even in, our, in, even in the suburbs that we would like to buy in. There are better opportunities outside of Sydney at the moment. Um, and I think that we get asked that a lot. Uh, we want to buy in Sydney, but if we can't, we're happy to go in state. The only people that ever say to that to us are people from Sydney. Yeah. Anyone outside of Sydney that speaks to us does not give us stuff about Sydney. Yeah. Um, they just say, well, where's the best place to invest? They don't even consider Sydney as a – I think it's a very Sydney mindset that Sydney is the best. Sydney, you know, you're going to get the best returns but not. You get good capital growth in the long term. Uh, you definitely have no cash flow uh, advantage. Yeah. I don't see any cash flow. Yeah, but not again, in this market. Yeah, it depends on the strategy and what you're chasing and your budget and whatnot. So – Yes and no to answer your question. Yeah. Within two minutes. <laughs> much um, nothing else to add for this one? Beautiful. Thank you, Mark, for your contribution to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. Oh, I was um, going to say one more thing just because you took that dig at me. Um, I love the comments. <laughs> A lot of the time with apartments, those problems that we said sometimes come up as risk factors for the lenders, unfortunately, only come up on the valuation report. We can do quite a few checks on our part yeah. um, before you sign the contract, before you put your 0.25% um, and sign the contract. But at the end of the day, even if the bank says it's okay and the valuation comes back with a bunch of these risk factors, the bank can change their appetite for that particular LVR that you're willing to go to. So, Mark, you're basically saying it's, again, it comes down to the valuer that we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, like I would, I yeah. definitely would never be purchasing a high-density apartment in an auction because you have to you have to put minimum 5% down, usually 10 and then the valuation is going to come back and there's no cooling-off period, so... If the bank's only going to give you 70% or you're going to have to come up with that or you lose your deposit and the property. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be going to auctions for high density. Yeah. can't imagine there would be many of them, though. Yeah, but that's actually a good point is that, and not just in general, just like, not just for apartment purchasing, but Mark makes a good point in regards to, and not taking a dig at valuers or nothing like that, but we can be thinking it's all sweet and it's all gone through smoothly. And then it, something might come back on the valuation. The environmental rating is at five, which is a high risk. And now the LVR has dropped or like you're close to, again, power lines, um, the state of the house, whatever it may be, it always comes down to that final report. So I think that's actually a very good point in regards to, you know, stating that it just depends on security, but a lot comes down to the valuation. We hope it comes back at a desktop valuation, but full valuation is done, even at the rent. Like this is now going to go over 20 minutes. I think Mark can even tell you in regards to rent, even though the place is receiving that rent for the last 20 years, some lenders are looking at the valuation saying nah, that this property should only be getting this a certain amount. So it always comes down to that valuation report. And the bank always uses the lower figure for rent. Always.
All right, beautiful. I uh, I'm gonna wrap that one up. Yeah. So, <laughs> we've gone. We've gone a so we started. We've we've gone a little bit over, but uh, better than our usual ones that go for an hour by accident. Yeah. The, we initially said these podcasts were going to go for 10 minutes when they started going for an hour. They're <laughs> <laughs> so working backwards, bro. Daddy's got too much information. He's got too much knowledge. All right. Uh, I had some questions as well, bro. No, it's good. I think people will like that. It's good. That's what we're here for. Now I'm going to go change the shirt and come back. Yeah, no worries. All right, we'll wrap that one up. Thanks, gentlemen, as always. We're not finished. Oh, before, you, before you wrapped it up. <laughs> I'm going to stop recording now. See you later, boys.